This is gonna be fucking fun. presentation of major league a-holes in the hole i'm pete i'm ryan you are in the hole with major league a's assholes a-holes <laughs> wow we are yeah this is an all-star start this is also presented by revolution brewing i forgot to say that too i'm ryan you are in the hole with major league a-holes presented by revolution brewing we are on episode 110 the 2022 all-star edition this is uh, recording this on a Wednesday night. There are absolutely no major sports happening in North America. It's the slowest sports night of the year, I think. So we're going to record a goddamn podcast because this is what it. we do for fun. Let's do it. We will be talking All-Star Break, Home Run Derby. We'll be talking, intersplicing all that with our my Cubs and Tigers and your Giants and maybe even a little bit of A's. Uh, I, we're not going to bother. You and I didn't really talk about this beforehand, but... I'm not bothering with the kind of the stereotypical halfway point grading system uh, I, uh, for our teams. I can just spare spare you all. Tigers get an F. Cubs get an F. A's get an F. So there you go. <laughs> We're not going to be talking about the White Sox because we just did that two days ago. Ooh, did Episode we? six of we go, Sox the, type thing dropped. The, the Godfather version. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's dropped. So if you are looking for White Sox talk, check out Sox type thing. Anywhere you'd like to find a podcast, you can find it on Twitter at Sox type thing and on the web, Sox type thing.com. Uh, yeah, like I said, we're going to be talking some Cubs at least. There's they're getting fucking sued by the federal government. Uh, you've got a little gigantism over there. Uh-huh. We've got some shit you couldn't make up. Uh-huh. I forgot to mention, we are definitely going to be talking about the Juan Soto sweepstakes. And then, of course, we've got our flagship, Asshole of the Week. Let's go ahead and jump into the news. Now, here's the news. It's the news. The big news. Oh, fuck, Scotty, that is good news. That is great news, man. Let's bring it all home as Major League Baseball presents This Week in Baseball. All-Star Week. How are you feeling? Uh, I mean, it was like a normal, kind of like a normal all-star week. I mean, yeah. it got the anti- lowest ratings. Anticlimactic. Yeah. Uh, got the lowest ratings in history, I think I saw just before we went on the air. That's like 7.3 uh, million viewers. Yeah. I mean, that means, but I was excited, you know, entering, entering all-star week. Um, not, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of representation, representation on the teams I watched. Neither did you. Uh, especially with your White Sox getting Dylan C snubbed and of course Carlos Rodon being snubbed as well. So you probably have a bit of an ax to grind with Well he was there though. Process. I think he, was he there eventually? He okay. eventually got added. Well the the fact he that he wasn't pitch, there but... to begin was ridiculous. And we went through the whole thing with the Dylan Cease uh snubbing on episode six of Sox type thing. So I guess my first thought is the broadcast started and I saw Joe <laughs> Davis there with John Smoltz. Uh, of course, Joe Buck is no longer the yes. Fox play-by-play announcer for MLB. 
it dawned on me or anything. Yeah. It dawned on me that not only is John Smoltz famously from my hometown right here in Lansing, Michigan, he went to high school a mile and a half from where I'm sitting right now. Joe Davis is from Potterville, Michigan, which is nine miles from where I'm sitting right now. So that was a mid Michigan all-star broadcast. And actually that's the flagship broadcast crew uh, from now on for Fox's Joe. So I never, so did It's a Wonderful Life take place in Detroit, Michigan? That is, that is Pottersville. <laughs> oh, oh, not Pottersville. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Pottersville is weed. Weed, just weed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Pottersville is a <laughs> very small community outside of Lansing. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I don't even know what, what, what is remarkable about Pottersville other than I think their most famous former resident is Joe Davis. So I Joe Davis. thought that was interesting. I, Sitting here in mid Michigan, and the whole All Star All Star Games revolving around me, feeling uh, like, <laughs> yes, that's what I thought too. Yeah, the <laughs> game was interesting. It was off to a yeah. cool start for yeah. about three innings, and then nothing happened after that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was what would you got the ninth win in a row by the AL. It is twenty one yeah. out of the last twenty five they've won. Yikes! It's like I don't know. Is it? I saw a headline that the NL should be relegated. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's funny though. Like they, they taught, you know, what, what years did it matter though? Which that actually was a big deal. The fact, the fact that the AL has won 20 out of the last 25 and a huge portion, a large portion of that, or some portion of those games meant who got home field. advantage. Yeah. That's a big deal. That is. But overall, now it doesn't who, matter. Who cares? Yeah, like exactly. it's supposed to be fun. I think I would kind of, and it's kind of impossible in baseball unless, unless uh, like the pitchers don't really try. You, you, you kind of almost prefer like a 10 to nine game or something like that. But you know what? I mean, the AL, the AL bullpen was just nails. I mean, it it was just ridiculous. And I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. it, You know, it, it did cause me to do one thing. Like in in the game that matters the most out of the, I, I'm like let me look at the last twelve World last twenty five World Series and see what happened. Well, that's dead even. Al's or the NL's won uh. thirteen and the Al's won twelve. So when it matters the most, it, it turns out to be somewhat of an even contest on talent levels of the teams that make it there. But so the NL uh, should not be relegated. No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. I, in an act, in, well, in regards to exhibition play, <laughs> they need to make it count again so yeah. they can yeah, uh, really. actually try. But yeah. What did you I mean, think of the in-game broadcast where they were talking to the players all? That like, I love. I, I thought love there was part. pluses but, and minuses to that. I thought there were brilliant moments and then there are really tedious kind of awkward moments. Oh, where, yeah. There's guys who are into it and there's guys who just are like, yeah, I'm mic'd up. I'm feel like i'm put out by this whole thing my favorite was alec manoa i think oh, he kind of, kind of he stole was, the show yeah he was great the best is when john smoltz suggested he throw a you know backdoor slider at the, at the batter's foot back foot and manoa is fired up about you are sexy for calling yeah. that and he throws the exact pitch but he hits him in the foot he was like too he took his instructions too literally yes i, I thought that was cool it was just like kind of Kind of a fun interaction. Like one part that I thought was cool is Liam Hendricks uh, screaming out to uh, Julio Rodriguez to get him the ball because that was his, like the first out he recorded as an all-star or something like that. He needed, he wanted the ball, but you could hear him just scream, Julio, don't throw it out. Don't throw it out. 
and Julio knew exactly what was going on. He he like pantomime like throwing it into the crowd. Yeah, <laughs> did you know? Did you know Julio actually had the earpiece in because he was mic'd up too? Yeah, so, so he, he didn't could, need to be yelling. Yeah, so he was. So he's like, he, I, I was uh, reading an article today. How he was like, I heard him loud and clear. He had no idea <laughs> because I had the earpiece Shut the in. Fuck up. So he's like, of course I'm going to fake it to throw to the crowd. It. He. Uh, I guess he's bet. This is his third All Star game. He has all three balls. Okay, I was wondering because it didn't uh, yeah. sound right to me. Like why yeah, he needed to yeah. keep that one, but yeah, he has he has them all like authenticated, and he has all I three see. balls. So that was his future. That's his future selling those things off when he's out of money. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I got him authenticated. <laughs> no, this is Liam Hendricks. I swear. Well, one part I didn't really enjoy. Was... I hope you're going to say umpcam. That made me nauseous. Actually, oh. I, I could that. Like the when I first saw it, it wasn't even facing. It was like it was facing kind of down. Like, like the one time I've had a migraine headache in my life, I was trying to walk home from work in the sunlight, and I just had to look down. That's the first thing I thought of. And this, and it's just then it was like disorienting. Like, no, let's not do then, this. But then I'm looking at it, going, no wonder they can't call balls and strikes. <laughs> yeah, I can't see. Strikes. I can't see shit. <laughs> I'm gonna throw up. The other part I didn't really appreciate at all was Big Poppy with the microphone in the dugout. Just he he he's got a future. Acting mm. the full clown, make you know, just having he's non- fun. Yeah, he's a fun guy. Complete nonsense conversations with players that didn't really understand what was going on. But the worst part of that was Miguel Cabrera was up to bat, and I didn't even see a single part of it. I, I finally like. I saw him like running meekly to first base after a, apparently it was a two pitch ground out, but you know, the whole tigers have next to nothing to, to be rooting for tiger fans watching that. I was fired up to see Miggy there and I didn't even get to see the fucking at bat because I had to watch big poppy's clown act. Yeah. Are the same producers who do ESPN Sunday night baseball? Did they do the Fox broadcast too? Because that's all of that where you've got like that inning you have, we bitch about with the coach and the manager in his office. And you're like, there's a game going on. Yeah. That's the, that's the trend in, in baseball broadcasting is, is trying to give you more of an inside look, which I think has its place, but it's just at times it's just overdone. Like it has, it should be in and out, you know, quick here and there, but not just, question after question after question or missing entire parts of the game it's just yeah. yeah especially with like that might be his last all-star at bat right right that, that that's probably it and, and, and it's it. not even captured yeah. well it's probably captured on, it's captured on a camera but, somewhere yeah. and, uh, but like no one got to see it yeah i mean not that it's that big a deal it's just it was just annoying and you know, yeah, I, did, I i i agree with you it tigers is. fans did at least get to see Gregory Soto pitch uh, late in the game. Of course, he pitched to Ian Happ. Uh, and, of course, Gregory Soto walked him because that's what he does. Then uh, he does face Juan Soto, which who, who we'll get to in a bit here. Uh, Soto, Soto, Soto. Soto versus Soto. And he grounded out. So that was that was my Tigers and Cubs experience. Uh, besides, of course, Wilson Contreras. But who uh, played a starring role as a starting catcher along with his brother being uh, on <laughs> the national league uh, starting nine. That was, that was a pretty cool moment. Have those, yeah. having those brothers on the same team on the same all-star team. Uh, I thought that was a remarkable cool story. 
other than that, uh, I think those are all my thoughts for the All-Star game, unless you had anything else with your Giants nope. or even your White Sox, since we didn't get to talk about that specifically. No, I mean, Ian got to the one out he was asked to get. Timmy was one for two with the base hit. I saw it. Yeah, I forgot it. Timmy got the base he was, hit. is in a couple plays. He was part of that one awesome flip from Jimenez. Double play. That was. Yeah. Yeah, that was a nice so. turn. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool, but I don't know. It was like as always. I I'm much more excited prior to the game mm-hmm. than the actual game itself. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a. I mean, it's again, it's proved to like. The, I think all the games have been basically low scoring lately. It's just proved to how good bullpens are these days. And yeah, it's a real the, microcosm of of the game. It, game in general low yeah, and scoring I, and bullpen dominated I, I one thing i do want to bring up i was shocked that that was clayton kershaw's first start that, in I an don't, all-star game yeah that, that, that was unbelievable to me he's just, been known as like the pitcher the best pitcher of this generation right for a long time so how could he not have i mean did he when he was on and healthy was he always getting like you know, because they'll give it if a home if there's a decent hometown starter, they'll give it to him. Yeah. They'll give it to him. So maybe he's been bypassed because of that. But when when maybe I heard he kept that, pitching on Sunday, the Sunday before, yeah, right? I, I don't mean, know. Like when I heard that, I was just like, "How is that even possible?" Mm. So anyway, that's my last thought on it. Well, I think working backwards chronologically, we've got. Oh, I'm sorry, I I, I missed our whole transition. <laughs> For my aesthetics. Fa- yeah, my favorite, my favorite segment on this fucking show, and I completely forgot it. Aesthetics. Hey, Kramer, what do you think of this shirt? It's too busy. You know what you two look like? What? Dorks. <laughs> they look like a couple of dorks. I think it's the stupidest shirt I've ever seen, to be perfectly honest with you. You look like a fool. Can I say one thing to you? And I say this with an unblemished record of staunch heterosexuality. Absolutely. It's fabulous. I have distinct thoughts about the all-star uniforms. Um, I'll get, I'll get, let's get your thoughts off the top, at least. Well, I'm very happy, finally, that the actual all-star uniform was worn in the game itself mm. versus just as the home run derby jersey well and then never to be seen again well they changed that that that's how they did it last year too but that uniform was horrific yes uh, so this is this would actually be the second year they've they moved the you know you wear your normal uniform for home run derby now what was wait what was last year's last year was oh my god go to uh MajorLeagueAholes.com, look back uh, last July. It was the, it was Navy, Navy kind of off white and red with the three, oh, and three yeah, letter right. initials of yes. each city. Yeah, that's And then right. they were horrific. And well, it, you're right. I forgot we ripped those things apart. And this, we all said we would never buy one yeah. or wear one. This to me. These look good at least. Yeah. I thought they got it right from an aspect of retaining the the feel of the like team's jersey itself, like yeah, the away jerseys or whatever. But just, literally, they took each team's jersey and just either changed it to gold and white or gold and like a charcoal gray. Yeah, and, and I like everyone the socks had black caps with yeah. 
with gold gold logo so yeah it looked i thought it looked good you know of course i'm gonna i'm gonna always say i'd rather have for the all-star game itself I'm, i'd rather have everyone just wearing their regular uniforms save the special uniforms for the home run derby but i could see from a business uh point of view why they would do that in the actual all-star game that has more eyeballs on it sell way more jerseys and hats these are going to sell a hell of a lot more than last year's monstrosities these these are actually very cool looking i think uh almost every team's uniform look look pretty cool in those colors it's yeah cool. it's kind of a universal color palette it just sort of works the other part of it that they did and i'm assuming they're gonna have to do going forward is it's kind of a neutral color palette. That was not the Dodgers colors, obviously. You know, everyone wasn't wearing blue and white, a little bit of red uniforms. They they picked kind of like a Los Angeles colors way. I'm thinking of the metallic gold and simple uh, dark dark gray and white. Um, I don't know. I guess Tinseltown. I don't, yeah, I'm not Hollywood, sure why gold. Like a Hollywood, Hollywood type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Hollywood seems like gold to I me. Mean, maybe maybe the Oscars look. Uh, award is gold maybe that's why i think of la and gold it actually looks like uh la's uh second soccer team there lafc there those were their colors i don't know if if that's connected somehow but. it's almost it's almost like an all-star city connectors you know weird you know yeah in yeah a kinda. sort of way yeah makes you wonder what they're going to do going forward you know i guess my my main complaint you know the, or the main reason i'd rather have that done in the home run derby versus the all-star game itself is I had a hard time figuring out who I was looking at at times. Like, okay, you, you had to look for a while to make sure you understood, okay, he's playing this position. That's his number. Oh, there's his name. I can, now I'm seeing the, you know, the team logo. It just isn't readily apparent, you know, in, in such a, a, you know, obviously are out in the field. These are a bunch of players you're not used to seeing. So you're trying to piece together who's, who's who, or who's been substituted or what's going on. You don't really necessarily get that immediately. And I think you have a much easier time if they're wearing their regular uniforms that that's a small that's a small gripe but um i don't know overall like i said these are a thousand times better than what they did last year makes me wonder what they're going to do going forward how they keep kind of a neutral color palette uh you know because with the, with the old when they had the special jerseys for the hormone derby they would literally theme them off of the the hosting team's brand essentially yeah so I think the T-shirt I have. This is maybe when it was in Texas or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So I mean, that's interesting, but I don't know if you can do that for an All-Star game, like, or how that would fly. You know, just turn turning things on their head. Like, what? I I don't even know where the All-Star game is next year, but Seattle, right? Oh, it is Seattle. Like, You're right. Yeah. So are you know are the are the uh, you know rival Astros or Angels going to be really fired up to be wearing Mariners colors? You know. Green yeah, and, no, green and navy blue. I, mean, I don't I don't think they're going to do that. And I think that's part of why they chose kind of this neutral color palette for for this game in L.A. Um, I don't know what they're going to do. I think it kind of has to be red, white and blue going for that's that's kind of like their you know, those major league standard colors or America's colors. I don't know if that's where they're going to go with it, but I guess that'll be interesting for <laughs> graphic design dorks like myself to to speculate about and try to figure out and anticipate for next year. That's probably all I have to say. So I'm guessing that's all you have to say on that's the subject. That's definitely all I have to say on the subject. <laughs> well, let's now segue over to the home run derby, which at least Ooh. I know I have lots of thoughts about. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how uh, fired up you are. I mean, that. I'm gonna say what I said to you that night. Um, there is no way 
that Kyle Schwarber was not asked <laughs> to throw the first round. So yeah. the Pujols could, could advance Yeah. to your point. Albert was getting pitches kind of maybe like the Pete Alonzo the year that the, was it last year that he kind of got, they kind of said that his dad was throwing him the pitches prior to the ball. I think they got out. rid of that rule completely. Uh, the th- that was a few years ago where yeah you had to wait till the ball was yeah. like in the stands I mean, I, or on the ground before you could throw that. I don't think they have that rule anymore okay. because it, yeah because it's timed. Yeah, it's um, stu- it's stupid to have that rule. But what like, they did officially fudge though was they let Albert hit balls over the over the fence even after the clock hit zero. The well, ball was still in the pitcher's hand, and that, yes. that's been documented at least yes. once. At the same time, Kyle Schwarber his had pitcher a ball- was. Yeah. Well, that's another part, but had a ball that wasn't even counted. He had a home run that they didn't bother counting. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, like, it's easier. We... It's easier to advance grandpa uh, to the next round if wow. that happens. Yeah. You, I think you were about to say that like Schwarber's pitcher was just for like a while, 10 just, seconds. He was just like stand 10 seconds there. With, yeah. yeah with the ball, like you are supposed to throw the ball. You have one job, throw him the ball. And you were just yeah. fucking standing there. So, I don't know. That looked fishy. That, of course, that was the that was that was the second matchup, I believe, to start the yeah first round. But um, you know, Kyle Schwarber is the number one seed versus the number eight seed. Uh, but of course, a fan favorite, former Dodger, of course, longtime St. Louis Cardinal Albert Pujols. But you know, this is his. I thought it was odd that he was even chosen to be in the home run oh, derby. When I saw he was in the home run derby, I'm like why well he had like one home run for about the first two minutes the, yeah <laughs> so i was like That's oh what, my god schwerber only needs two home runs to win this round i text you i'm like did yeah. they change it to the gap derby hitting into the gap derby because that's yeah. all he was doing. He just kept hitting the ball in the gap, which would have yeah. been great in a regular game for scoring runs and getting doubles but then all of a sudden he changed his bat. I don't know if he went to the cork bat he or went, what. He went, yeah, he went to the <laughs> one ounce lighter bat that apparently made all the difference. But. And then all of a sudden he had 12 home runs or whatever, or whatever Kyle had to tie him for. I, I can't remember. And then the bonus round, he just went nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It. I don't know. It, uh, I was very, very shady to me. Well, I was upset about it just because I was rooting for Kyle Schwarber. He's really the only one I had any kind of rooting interest with, and I certainly don't root for Albert Pujols. But, you know, so for him to go out in the first round just and things that were bothering me before I even saw other people writing and writing headlines such as robbery in the ravine. (laughs) Jeez, wow. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of vitriol over it because this is a uh, an event that you can actually gamble on. And in fact, Kyle Schwarber oh, had the most money true. on you him to, to win that first round of Maybe any he, other any other kind of bet you could have on the home run derby. Maybe he bet Juan Soto. Well, <laughs> I mean, if you're not gonna even follow the rules, like their own rules, uh, like I mentioned before, where they're counting, you know, not counting balls, just you know, we're just not gonna count that one that Kyle Schwarber had. We lost track. Sorry about that. Or they're gonna let Albert Pujols pitcher throw him after the clock hits zero. And count that. I mean, this is like really shady territory. Would you, you think about the Vegas aspect of this? So I don't gamble, so that part doesn't bother me that much. But they're gonna have to, 
you know, if there's lots of money changing hands, they're going to have to tighten this up, especially since baseball does have connections with the gambling industry, direct business. Right. Connections. Yes. So, yeah. MLB has sponsorships on gambling sites. Yeah, this like is the all... logo is able to be used and, and things like that. So these, these are all fun and games exhibitions that we shouldn't take too seriously. But when there's that now suddenly that much money and business aspect going on the line with this, uh, this might be the last of these shady home run derbies. So Rob Manfred's legs were broken last night. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, we, uh, as we were wrapping up actually right after we wrapped up episode six of socks type thing the other night, just before the home run derby started, uh, I, we were talking post post game show and I was speculating that Juan Soto might win the home run derby just to ratchet up his trade value 500 million fun. like yeah like how much fun would that be and of course somehow he won the home run derby so i know it's almost like it was scripted yeah you you wonder or at least it was scripted by scott boris his agent uh, yes. just to ratchet up that value a little bit more but obviously that transitions transitions us well into the biggest topic in all of baseball this week as the juan soto sweepstakes has commenced uh, I was going to put it in shit you can't couldn't make up that a man turned down close to half a billion dollars to play baseball. Uh, apparently Juan Soto wants no part of the future of the Washington Nationals or lack uh, thereof. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he the is future going to has the future is in Juan Soto. He holds the power to yeah. make the Washington Nationals back into a contender. Well, he holds the future of the major leagues in his hands right now as everyone is lining up and speculating how they could possibly take him off the Nationals' hands. Uh, some are more realistic than the others. You and I did a nice a thought-provoking ex- exploration of what the White Sox may or may not be willing or capable of doing. Folks, uh, if you if you please, if, even if you don't like the White Sox, <laughs> seriously, like get listen to that segment. It was It was one of our... Uh, it was one of like just a great conversation that all led to what would be a realistic and very painful outcome where essentially you get a right leg, but you've cut off your left leg. So is it really worth it? So well, let's keep uh, slapping each other on our backs for that. Nice yeah, work. Nice work. Good job, guys. <laughs> but I think that conversation. Pete, kind good of- job. I'll talk to <laughs> about myself in the third person. <laughs> I think that conversation kind of primed us and informed us how to approach this with our uh, remaining teams that we'd like to discuss. Of course, this has been a, a staple of local sports talk radio over the last couple of days since the news broke that he would indeed be hitting the, the trade market. You know, in Detroit, at least I could tell you, you know, there's speculation immediately that the Tigers were somehow in, in the mix, which I have not seen anywhere else. I've not read that nationally that there's, there's a match in any way that there was speculation though, that, you know, the tigers could give up pieces such as Tarek Skubal and Riley green oh and my God. Spencer Torkelson. And then Ugh. whatever else, uh, Spencer Torkelson, of course, uh, at the lowest point of his value in quite a while as he's been sent back down to triple a to start the, the post oh, break. Well, there's some tigers news. I wasn't. Yeah. Aware. Yeah. So you, there's that little tidbit for you. Um, wow. Yeah. I don't even know what else the nationals would possibly want, uh, but essentially the, the tigers would have to cut off their head to <laughs> get, a, to get a right leg to, to extend that analogy. So I, yeah. I don't see a fit there whatsoever. 
I have seen speculation that the Cubs could possibly be in the mix as their farm system, at least, and maybe young controllable players at the major league level might be enough to be a bit appealing to, to the nationals. The, the, the problem that with that and what you and I discussed when we we're talking about this scenario with the white Sox is, you know, you're not really bidding with the, with the nationals in mind, you're bidding with 10, 12 other teams, whatever yeah. it comes out to be. You're, you're trying to make the best offer. The Nationals are going to want your best five prospects or young, controllable major league players, at least, if not more. If that, that's where it's going to start. And, you know, the Cubs could potentially package, you know, starting with Nico Horner. I think that's that's the first place that that the Nationals would want to go to. And then then you go from there and into the into the system, you know, whether it's uh, Justin Steele or Caleb Killian Pete Crow Armstrong would definitely have to have to be part of it. Um, Christian Hernandez, you know, where do we go? Like literally decapitating their their farm system that they've spent the last two years trying to trying to recover. I just I don't see why the Cubs. I don't see if that's in the Cubs' interest. If if even that's enough of a package, if you take their five or top five or six young players like that, if that would even be enough to compete with, you know, what I brought up, the, you know, especially the the Padres who are extremely motivated and have uh, a very top heavy farm system, but it is a robust top of that farm system. Uh, I don't know if they can compete with what the Dodgers could possibly pony up there. If the, if the Dodgers decide to do that, so I just, I just don't see the Cubs being in this or at least a finalist for the services of Juan Soto. I do think the Cubs could, can, should, and hopefully will be in the, in the mix for trying to sign him as a free agent in a couple of years. Uh, there is no reason why a major market club uh, with a fully activated brand new, essentially stadium uh, revenue streams coming throughout the neighborhood uh, revenue streams coming from their own goddamn television network that will be almost five years in, into an existence at that point. There's no reason why the Cubs shouldn't be amongst the highest bidders for Juan Soto at that point, whatever, whatever that, whatever that cost may be as uh, we're already speculating that that number is going to start with a five. Uh, maybe yeah. I've even heard people say by that point, it could be $600 million. Oh God. Uh, considering where inflation is right now, I guess that's not too unrealistic, but the Cubs should be in that mix. And I think that's where, you know, that's where the ultimate Juan Soto sweepstakes would end up. You know, he would be only be 25 years old. I think at that point, uh, you know, already with numbers that look like, you know, what, what uh, Hammer and Hank Aaron was putting up, what people have compared him to Ted Williams. Uh, he is amongst the elite of the elite and you'd be able to such a rare opportunity to be able to have his services uh, as a 25 year old going, you know, going forward for the next, at that point, you know, 12, 10 to 12 years, whatever, whatever that deal looks like. I think the Cubs Cubs should be in line to, to be ready to spend that money for a player like that. Back to my Tigers b- briefly before we talk about your your Giants uh, possibilities. I have heard them mentioned nationally. Uh, for my Tigers, Tigers have done this. 
if you think about it, essentially when they traded for a 24-year-old Miguel Cabrera, they they made this same kind of move. And this would have been back in 2008. And I was actually in the building where those negotiations were happening. It's the one winter meetings I had the privilege of attending uh, back in, uh, I think it was 2008. It was in Nashville in the Opryland Hotel as that trade was going down between the Tigers and the Marlins. Uh, there was, uh, of course, Sports Center or uh, Baseball Tonight was broadcasting live in front of me, and I got to hear the news. Probably the coolest outside of a game. It's the best best baseball experience I've ever had in my life. Uh, Tigers sent Andrew Miller, who you might remember, ended up being quite quite the uh, quite the reliever. Yeah. Yes, Cameron Mabin, which you may or may not remember. Yeah, uh, I mean he 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 had he had some decent years. He kicked around the league for close to ten years. So he was actually with the. I think he retired with the Cubs just two years ago, but uh, you know, Tigers got actually, they got Cabrera and uh, Dontrell Willis, who was not a terrible pitcher at the time. So nope. I, of course it's apples and oranges, but it, there is a similarity that, you know, the Tigers were able to trade and then eventually resign uh, you know, a superstar in the making. Very similar, a similar age uh, that are on similar trajectories. That, that's another uh, comparison that people have made between Juan Soto and Miguel Cabrera. So not unprecedented for the Tigers to do such a thing, but they're just not in a position to do so. Yeah. For the, for the giants, the biggest problem is similar to the Cubs. Um, it's really not so much of what's on the field now that Washington would be interested in. It's just a gigantic farm system package. So to speak. Yeah, right, exactly. But um, I mean, you basically they're they're in position now where they rebuilt the farm system. It's going to keep going up in the rankings over the next year or so. They've got guys in high A and, and, uh, you know, that are projected to be major league ready next year. Mm. That's how that's the talent level of their farm system. Yeah. And I think that's why people are na- mentioning them nationally, that they, they could be involved in this for sure. Yeah. Front I mean, it would be like, well, the only guy who's probably at a major league level back up again, who, who would maybe go would be Joey Bart mm-hmm. um, for a catcher. Um, but then you got Marco Luciano shortstop Kyle Harrison, an awesome left-handed pitcher, Lewis Matos, outfielder, William Bender, another right-hander, and then Helia Ramos, who we've seen up and down just like to fill in during like large amounts of injuries. But that kills off – they have three top 100 prospects. That kills those three off. Mm -hmm. And then the two who will probably be on the top 100 list next year. But that – if, if you're not giving them anyone who's at the major league level, that at a minimum plus whatever else they might request yeah. would be what it would cost you. And does that help uh, you win? I mean, does that, I does that subtraction the, plus are they going to make up 12 and a half games with Soto to win the division? Yeah, no, the but, but I have, I have a way to get there. Cause I I've got that in the giant segment because um, there's a lot of games left with, with uh the Dodgers and and the Padres but let's call an audible here let's 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 just finish this first half of the show out with with your thoughts on this and gigantism next question 
The next question, because it was stupid. He hits it high. He hits it deep. It is out of here. Sorry, uh, Papa's feeling pretty uh, delicious right now. Going to step into the box and go three for four. Eight RBIs. Gahim. Yeah, so... Juan Soto obviously is a game changer. He's an even bigger game changer in a lineup where he has to be pitched to. And, you know, some people may him and hot at his numbers, but the reason he has leading the leagues in walks is because there's no need to pitch to him yeah, when no you're protection. playing Washington. He has no protection. He still has 20 some home runs already though, which is yeah, no, I know. Yeah. His numbers aren't shabby, but where would they be? Yeah. If he was seeing real pitches, um, you know, the giants, they, they ended on a three game win streak. They're seven and three over their last 10. I was ready to call them dead after the sack series, after the sack swept them and they hit 500, but now they're, they're, they're back like four or five games over the key to the giants is, is, and this would be a reason to get Juan Soto. And it would be a reason to get Juan Soto in the next couple days, to be honest with you, because they start off with the Dodgers tomorrow night. Thank God. Thank God there is baseball tomorrow night. We got a doubleheader with the Tigers and, and the Giants play tomorrow night. Yeah. But they have 11 games left with the Dodgers in the second half starting tomorrow. Eight of those in the next 15 days. Well, another aspect of that is do you do you trade for him? Do you do everything so that your the Dodgers rivals don't can't get him? Get him? Right, yeah, so the exactly. Dodgers and especially the the Padres can't get him. So right, that's the other thing. It was like the it was like um, uh, trading for Rizzo last year and trading for Schwarber, you know, with the with the Red Sox versus the, oh, the Yankees. Yankees. Yeah. yeah, remember we were we we talked yeah, about, about that, that. like. Was it, did it make sense for the Yankees just to go get Kyle Schwarber too, just so the Red Sox didn't get him? But, you know, it worked, it's worked out so far for the Yankees. Um, So um, then they've got nine games left with the Padres. So there's 20 games right there. There, that, That is a lot of games that if you can win majority of those games, you make up your deficit, you know, to win that division. Then the other, the flip side of that, is they have seven left with the Cubs, two left with the Tigers, two with the A's, and three with the Pirates. Yeah. So, like, you've got, like, these other teams that you can just maybe beat up on. So Should. Like, should, yeah, beat should, up on. should beat up on. Especially post-trade deadline. Well, yeah. You'd think so, those, those teams would be depleted even further, so... Yeah, four. the first four with the Cubs are pre-trade deadline. Okay. But the 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 after that, all those other games are post-deadline. So... Yeah, I mean, it is the great question is what we I acted the same way talking about the White Sox last night. Like to me, just real quick on the Sox, because it's so much talent that is lending to the success, what little it has been compared to what they were supposed to do. But the fact they're at 500, those are the players that are involved in the Juan Soto trade. So yeah, you'd have it to give up Vaughn and Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make sense from yeah. that standpoint because they don't have they don't have they have like one or two guys in the top one hundred in prospects and they're right. in the bottom half where um you know the Giants have at least one top ten prospect. So um and then another one just out within twenty. So like that that's a different conversation from a level of talent. So yep. um 
I think I would say of the teams we cover, I mean, the Giants do have at least a chance. They have chance. the most to gain from it. They have a, they have a pl- plausible reason to do it. They might have the resources to get it done. I still don't. I mean, if you had to go 51% one way or the other, I think my 51 would be that they don't do it. Yeah, but. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree too. I don't, I don't think at the end of the day, I don't see any team we cover between the two podcasts actually doing it. I, I could see them talking about doing it, saying, you know, they probably will have conversations, yeah, they, but not, not they enough to. to get it done. Right, right. Well, well, maybe the, 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 maybe the A's have... will just swoop in and, and <laughs> shock the world and just and they'll drive their attendance. Soto. They'll drive their attendance up to ten thousand people a game. <laughs> Um, but, um, the only other thing I wanted to talk about with the giants, because it has a connection to this, to this podcast, uh, and, and a connection to you is the very last pick they took was, uh, Oh, in the draft. Yeah. In the draft was, uh, I think it's Ethan long. I I, I didn't put his first name down because I'm an idiot, but his last name is long. So we'll call him Mr. Long for (laughs) the purpose of this. Okay. Um, he is from Arizona State, with your, which you're fr- probably familiar with because that's where Spencer Torkelson uh, played his uh, collegiate ball. Collegiate ball. And he is runner up to Spencer P- Torkelson in most home runs hit um, as, a, uh, um, as a freshman. He launched 16 uh, to Torkelson's oh. 25. And See, Barry both, Bonds, Barry Bonds has one beat, of those records. Well, they both beat Barry Bonds with 11 mm-hmm. in his. He had he had held the freshman record in 1983 at 11. He's but, got the uh, overall record. No, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember he had some. Yeah. Record, but uh, right, both but... Uh, both Torque and uh, and this this Mr. Long uh, are uh, are in are are in the company with he which he had sixteen with a one point one two one OPS so wow. over fifty one games so not not too shabby so they got him with the last pick so um, well hopefully well, he well, starts his major league career with a little more oomph than Spencer Torkelson has as I mentioned he's already yeah. been demoted rightfully so demoted to Triple uh, A Toledo as he can't hit so far in his major league career and. He can field though. He's a hell of a first baseman, but uh, I mean, eventually he's got to have a hit the reset button and figure things out. Yeah. He looks frustrated at the plate and that doesn't lead to good results. So, but that is all I've got for the giants. Did you want to uh, take a break now? Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for tying in my, my tigers to your gigantism there. That was was very uh, gregarious or benevolent of yourself. So, Let's go ahead uh, as I'm running out of words. Let's let's take a break here on the Wordhole Media Network. Wordhole Media. Hey everybody, how you doing out there? This is Pete from Major League A Holes the Show. And are you enjoying our podcast? Well, if you are, why don't you show us some love and support us and get something in return at our new aesthetic shop? Do you like to annoy your inner town rivals? Then White Sox fans like to buy a Rizzo suck shirt or you fucking A's fans get a posy suck shirt from our ass face of the franchise collection. You want to celebrate the legends of baseball? We got the hammer, the bird, the wizard, oh, the great cashier hunter. 
As the great Hawk Harrelson used to say, he loved catfish. That's from our badass collection. Or do you want to just support your area? So you got the Northside, Southside, Motor City, and Bay Area collections. Again, all of this is available at aesthetics.shop, the official shit of Major League A-Holes. Well, the Cubs made some uh, interesting moves since the last uh, news, at least since the last time we uh, actually did uh, episode 109. It's been a while since we've recorded an episode, so this might be a little bit of older news. But I did see that the Cubs are actually being sued, and they're not being sued by any kind of typical plaintiff. They are being sued by the U.S. federal fucking government. The Department the, of Justice. The DOJ. Yeah. And the CUBS. They are after the Cubs for not being ADA wheelchair compliant with their billion dollar stadium renovation of Wrigley Field. And it is, it was a remarkable headline. It is, uh, from the articles I've read, it is not, it's actually uh, brought up more questions than answers. First of all, the first question that comes to mind is, how the fuck could this happen? How, <laughs> in the, you spend $1 billion on a stadium renovation and you aren't aware of ADA compliance laws? I mean, these are not new things. These, this is, you know, wheelchair access is, uh, I think, it, I forget when the American Disabilities Act was passed, but it's been most of our lives, it's been a thing. I Essentially, I, I'm putting you know, this all the blame for any kind of uh, miscarriage of justice on Crane Kenny, of course, my favorite target with the Cubs, who was happy to put his face on every part of what they've called Project 1060, the renovation project at Wrigley. Uh, of course, when these, uh, it was revealed that they were being sued by the federal government, he was nowhere to be seen, as I've already called him a cockroach for different reasons. But uh, of course, the Cubs had to resort to a nameless, faceless corporate s- spokesperson to address address the issue, saying the Cubs are very disappointed with the Department of Justice suing them, which sounds logical. Uh, and th- but they will defend Wrigley and and their how they have redesigned this, which is just begs the question: like, how, are you ADA compliant or aren't you? this should be a binary thing you like how you couldn't do it and then how you can argue that you are doing it is is bizarre to me these are these are simple things like counter heights they have to be wheelchair accessible they need to be at a height that a wheelchair can do with when you talk about the the ticket office or concession stand counters there is a measurement that those need to comply to that is or at least have an area where a wheelchair can access that. And it sounds like they did not do that. They are, I don't know how the Cubs could fight that. Go get a yardstick and we'll determine if you did it or not. Uh, The other parts of that are wheelchair uh, accessible seating areas, uh, basically uh, open areas where wheelchairs can uh, view the game from. And Apparently, the bleachers specifically before the renovation had better sight lines for wheelchairs than what they do now in the current configuration, which is unbelievable that you could put wheelchairs in a worse place in a vastly expanded bleachers with lots of opportunity to 
I mean, they tore down the complete bleachers and completely redid them. So the plans could have easily accommodated wheelchairs uh, with fantastic sight lines. You know, it is the, that is where I go to games. When I go to Wrigley, I am always in the bleachers. I've been doing that for over 10 years, multiple games a year. And in fact, I have stood in the area, in the new area where wheelchairs are supposed to be, the very back of the bleachers uh, in right field. I stood up there the first year they had it available. It was awesome because it essentially has a drink rail right there for it that you can lean on, set your beer. That has been removed in subsequent years. Uh, but I did notice it was quite tall, uh, which was nice for able-bodied people like you and me just to stand and lean up against. But I could see why it could be an issue for a wheelchair who sitting down would probably be looking straight at the drink rail. So that's probably why they had to remove that. You know, Wrigley, Wrigley spokespeople defended themselves saying we have now have 11 new elevators uh, in, in the facility, which I, I hear that's seen. a bad view of the game, though. Too. <laughs> yeah, but at least you can get around the stadium a bit or to the different levels of the stadium through the elevators. And they have also argued that Wrigley is more accessible than ever before. 50 percent in various locations. Well. That that's that's great, but is that ADA compliant? You know, this is a this should be a very easy definition, and for it to have gotten to to the point where the federal government has to sue the Cubs to force them to comply is just bizarre to me. Like, I feel like there's there's more going on here. There had there had to have been conversations. There had to have been many things that have happened over the years that this thing has been planned, built, and finally executed, uh, that they couldn't figure these things out. So there's some kind of political thing going on here with the Department of Justice and the Cubs or something. Now, there's also a mitigating factor here where the Wrigley Field was granted landmark status, federal landmark status from the federal government in 2020, which uh, gives... Uh, income tax incentives or uh, rebates to the Cubs themselves, a, a definite financial advantage to the Cubs from the federal government. So that might be a mitigating factor that uh, wasn't present when the 1060 project first started. So that's all a lot of minutia, a lot of politics, a lot of federal laws, uh, a lot of architecture, <laughs> a lot of different standards that I, I'm not I've always wanted to pretend that I was an architect, but I am not in real life. Uh, so I don't, I don't know where this all comes from. It's just bizarre that this could possibly be happening in a project of this scale, this magnitude, this, uh, this huge of a, a news story could, could be created from a baseball stadium. So you were there in Chicago. I, I've seen a few articles about this, but I have not heard it talk discussed much. I listened to 670 the score and ESPN 1000 a bit, but, it sounds like there's a lot more going on with this, with the regular news there in Chicago. Yeah. I made it into the non-sports portion of the, the newscasts. The interesting thing is this is actually, <laughs> this is actually the Cubs second lawsuit and the first one's not settled yet. Um, in 2017, a Cubs fan named David Serta uh, with muscular dystrophy sued the Cubs because the the first part, as we know, of the 1060 renovation project was 
updating the bleachers. Yep. Well, when they put that private bar area out in right field, those were the original seats for. Yeah. Behind uh, the batter's eye. Yeah. But, but in right field where they put that like private bar area was yep. the original seats and you could sit in right field and have a perfect view of the game. If you were in a wheelchair, um, he sued because he, the, to his point, or to the same thing the DOJ is saying, the wheelchair accommodations are now subpar. Yeah, they're way and at the top. They're way in the back and at the top of the bleachers. In a seating position, you have trouble seeing the game. Um, that lawsuit is on the docket still. It still hasn't been finalized. So they're still fighting him. This DOJ is on top of that now. Wow. Um, the one thing, the only thing I really wanted to point out um, that I thought was interesting is the Cubs did defend it, but in the same statement, they offered to voluntarily further enhance accessible features of the ballpark, including seating, restrooms, concessions, and other key accessibility elements. To me, that statement implies a certain amount of guilt that they why, did do something. Why would you need to enhance anything if you've already complied with it? Why would you need to be sued to be compelled to do these things? Why weren't you yeah. doing these things in your original plans? That's yeah. That's the question. The one, the one that, you know, isn't funny, but made me laugh was that they're supposed to have four wheelchair accessible seats in the press box. They only have two. They just left two out. I mean, it's just, we're just it's, not going to do this. We're just going to do it. We only need two. We only know two guys who have wheelchairs who come into the press box or whatever. I mean, like, I, Unless, just, the, unless those silly. things have changed, like th this is what I don't understand. This this is where, I mean, it's easy to just say Crane Kenny's a fucking asshole or well, they're all we just, just morons. We, we like to do that, but yeah. These aren't stupid people. So no. there, there's got to be more going on here. Like something changed at some point. That's why I think that maybe the landmark status changed things after years after the plans were, were finished, uh, years after the, you know, everything was being implemented. That that somehow the ADA laws had changed, and now the Cubs are just didn't want to make further renovations onto the renovations they've already done. I haven't seen that reported yet. Um, it's just something happened where the Cubs refused to, uh, you know, abide by whatever new or on the books laws there were, and just fucked it up. Maybe it's over. You know, when they were doing the renovations, it was daddy Ricketts buddies in the DOJ and now they're not. So well, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's, that could be another problem that that's where the someone, politics comes. Someone in. could have walked through and said, yeah, you're fine. And now mm. that there's a different regime in there, I, we don't like to talk politics here, but that is a real legit possibility. Well, and those, those things happen on a local level all the time. We, I, I've written many blog posts about, I call him Lord Tunney of Wrigleyville. Yeah. Tom Tunney, the the alderman there, who has the, basically been trying to extort the Cubs from day one, fighting, unbelievable, fighting, uh, it's, fighting it's, them it, tooth and nail every at every step of this 1060 project. Uh, but he should be licking their boots. Yeah, but when when the federal government is stepping in and and saying you guys are fucking up, there there's something on a whole nother level going on. So. I I don't know. I'm just shocked by this story. I, maybe no one else cares. I, I'm I'm not a fan of Crane Kenny. I'm not a fan. I've been angry with the Cubs for some time because all of this money they've spent off the field hasn't trickled down to 
uh, more money being spent on the field as of yet. So I've got much angst as many Cubs fans do these days. But just to hear another story like this, where essentially they're shitting on handicapped people on the disabled, you know, that was going to be my, might be my headline. Crane Kenny hates the disabled uh, for this segment. It's just another black eye for this team. And it's just, it just, it's unconscionable. So get it fixed. I mean, what are we doing? <laughs> give the, give the disabled their countertops, like give them a good sight line. This is not difficult. We can do this. You've spent well, $1 billion. Get it done. And to your point about those counters in the back of the bleachers, like they probably had to remove those because they put them in and they're like, you can't have those here. If you're going to have wheelchairs lined up back there, I, I like what the fuck? Yeah, well, that's what I was bringing up with the drink rail. Yeah, that's what I meant. The one, yeah, because we had it for one season, and then they were gone. And I was pissed about that. Well, that's enough ranting and raving for and against my my Cubs for the week. I think we should move on. Oh wait, before you move on, I just want to congratulate you on ending the nine game losing streak. Thank you. Congratulations. Okay. Didn't go to ten or even to eleven. (laughs) Eleven. All right. You know, this Cubs segment was almost, it's the perfect lead in this shit you couldn't make up because it's like, why are we even talking about this? Yeah, I mean, the the ADA requirements not being met by the billion dollar 1060 project was definitely some shit I couldn't make up, but we've got plenty plenty of other shit we couldn't make up. Oh, you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? What have we got here? A fucking comedian. (laughs) For his turkey cemetery. Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. Not one, not two, not three, but 10 Kansas City Royals were unable to make their team's road trip into Canada to face the Toronto Blue Jays last week. Uh, this is old news now, of course, but yeah, that was enough for us to talk about. You know, we've, we've talked about this many times when it, when it actually involves playoff teams, uh, potentially AL East playoff teams in their division rivals not being able to travel if they choose not to be vaccinated. And that was going to be an issue with the New York Yankees, but subsequently all New York Yankees have been vaccinated. Uh, But I didn't think it would be an issue with the Kansas City Royals. And I guess those 10 Royals who it's not, I'm not sure it's actually official that they are not vaccinated is the reason they didn't go because the Royals would not disclose the reason why those 10 players were not going to Toronto for that series. It's just a hazy mystery when it comes to the Royals, but I think it's pretty obvious what was going on. Uh, they were too, I guess they were too ashamed to, men- to mention that their 10 players are not vaccinated. Shame. You know, the Royals are not going anywhere. This is not, you know, there's no playoff implications. There's no dire consequences. You know, missing a, missing a series this, you know, in the middle of the season is no big deal. But it does have uh, potential trade implications when... Andrew Benatendi is is a uh, very rumored to be traded uh, asset. Whit Merrifield is always on on other teams' trading blocks, whether the Royals are putting him there or not. Uh, he seems to be a valuable asset. A lot of people would be interested in at the trade deadline, but you wonder what that does to their trade value by not being vaccinated. If they, you know, if you're not necessarily going to be uh, an AL East team, uh, you know, vying for that really interesting and, and competitive division title and yeah. potentially 
wild card places if you know you know you there's a good chance you might have to go to Toronto in in the playoffs so I just found that one interesting and some shit I couldn't make up yeah the other thing I, I found interesting about it um and I don't know if you like read anything about it but it it was like the Kansas City media um like un the Royals never officially announcing it, but they were like spinning it and like, well, this is going to be a, it's going to be a great opportunity for the Royals to really assess the talent they have in their minor league organization. And I'm like, what? Wow. Turn that frown upside down. That, yeah. That's putting a very positive spin on things. I, I like the creativity, but yeah. And, and they wow. took the first game. They lost the next three, but they took saw the that. first game three, one. And I was like, holy shit, the minor <laughs> no leagues problem. are better than the starters. <laughs> Leave them up. Leave them up. Trade the team away. But yeah, they lost the next three. But um, yeah, I mean, just own up to it, man. I, it's it is what it is. It's the reality of today. You can't make someone do something in regards to healthcare like that. So well, it's their again, responsibility. And every time this this subject comes up, you know, I always just say. This isn't politics. This is science. And you know, this is not your least favorite politician, whoever that happens to be, and what's whichever side of the aisle you reside. This isn't that person telling you what you can and can't do with your body. This is this is science. This is another country. This is not a conspiracy against you and your your American rights. This is this is the world. This is the world we live in now. And this is the world telling you you're being foolish and they're not going to let you play in their sandbox if you're continuing to be foolish. So grow up, just get the fucking shot. Exactly. Um, I'm going to take us over to minor league baseball in Oregon, <laughs> Eugene, Oregon to be exact. And the Eugene Emeralds where um, it, they were, you know, it's a, a prostrate awareness, men's awareness month. And, well, the GM men of, need to be aware of their po- prostate. For sure. Yeah, for 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 you know getting checked for cancer, and the GM of the Eugene Emeralds thought it'd be a great idea to sing "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" while he got an exam, a prostate exam, while on the getting... field. Yes. Whoa, 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 whoa! It was on the field. Yes, yes, yeah. That's they what have the some video. Kind of yeah, there was some or... sort of curtain, and he sang it quite quickly. So if you can see the video, uh, go, go look it up. Um, oh my God. Yeah. You, um, you, you gave me the headline of this story. I didn't know the details before, before yeah. you just revealed them that I did not realize it was on the field. I that's, think it was on the field. I, I, I saw the video. Obviously this is, we're like almost two weeks removed from yeah. when we last did this and it was in between that, but I swear maybe it wasn't, maybe it was upstairs in the booth. But that, that's what still, I assume, but I yeah, think it would be, still. it would definitely send the message and it would definitely create awareness for prostate cancer. Yeah. Uh, if he, if he was indeed on the field getting the exam was with no curtain. No, <laughs> Do you know if the exam was completed in the time he was able to sing? You know, I took this story down like 12 days ago or whatever, yeah. and it just, just sat there under shit. We couldn't make up in my notes. So <laughs> I did not follow up. You did not um, study. I, I, don't, I don't know the results of his exam and how it went, but you did not study. I do detail. know what I heard um, was a very quick version of "Take Me Out to the Ball Game." So yeah, that would be a a tense version. <laughs> yes. Think, but so that's definitely some shit you couldn't make up. Yes. Well, 
my next shit we couldn't make up goes back to the AL East as Chris Sale uh, finally returned after the better part of two years uh, <laughs> between many things, including uh, Tommy John surgery and then a preseason uh, stress fracture to his ribs that have kept him out until last week. Yeah, what do you what do you play? He played the second half of last season, almost a whole second half. Mm, no, he was uh, out with Tommy John surgery. So it's been... no, I, I had him on the fantasy team. He came back in like June and played a series of games before he before that. So congratulations, you're right. You just yeah. stepped all over my my shirt. You couldn't make up, but you win. Uh so he was able to finally come back after an inter- indeterminate amount of time. Uh, had five innings in his first return, came back for his second start of the season and immediately was hit on the hand with a comebacker, broke his pinky in, in disgusting fashion, uh, very graphic images of a f- totally busted up pinky. Uh, you know, not Chris salt, you know, none of this is Chris sales fault, but it's just amazing that he was, you know, just now coming back from, from major injuries and immediately has the bad luck of, Breaking his fucking pinky, which really sends the Red Sox into into a spiral where they were assuming things were getting right with them as they were getting pitchers back off the IL for this playoff run. But you know, being without Chris Sale is it certainly doesn't help things and makes you wonder if the Red Sox might be more desperate to be making some moves here before the trade deadline. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think everyone who's in comp in in uh competition for a playoff spot prize looking for some type of pitching just to complete my uh, diarrhea over your segment. He played in <laughs> nine games last year and went five and one and pitched 42 and two thirds innings. So just, just wanted to completely evacuate my, my <laughs> over your segment. Okay. You have, I mean, it's shit you couldn't make up. I didn't think it would be <laughs> shitting on me. And that's in the segment. We could I just thought you'd it. prefer to have the correct information for the segment, <laughs> but my bad. I apologize. At least, at least you get the details for this one and not your own shit. You couldn't make up in Eugene with very few details. So well, I well mean, done. Well done. I know. Well, you should have, you should have, I gave you what it was. You could have done your research. <laughs> I, I do. I do blame myself. <laughs> you blame yourself on that one. I blame myself for partnering with you. On this podcast <laughs> yes. in general, well, but. you should. <laughs> Well, my final shit we couldn't make up for the week. Also, I'm apparently I'm obsessed with the AL East because they're they're all revolving around that in one way or the other. But uh, but it's so not for asshole of the week. Yeah, so is the our forthcoming asshole of the week too. So wow, this is I didn't even notice this when we first put this wow. line together. But Saturday's uh, baseball night in America on Fox was between, of course, the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox the most uh, nationally covered rivalry in yeah. major league history. Yeah. Good We've or bad. It. We got to watch it. Yeah. It, you will be watching this. It's almost like the <laughs> clockwork orange where your eyes are spread open. You're forced. To watch I mean, seriously. Red Sox at this point, uh, unfortunately for, and this comes back to, to my, my background in graphic design. I've, I've never been in television uh, graphic design of any sort, but, someone maybe in similar similar position to what I've been in the print and web industry was tasked with coming up with uh, compelling graphics to come in and out of commercials with uh, for this uh, baseball night in America, where 
I'm guessing it's a young, possibly an intern, uh, their graphic design intern, someone with very little experience or knowledge of even recent history, decided to superimpose the Yankees and Red Sox logos over the top of the 9-11 memorial site. Uh, an aerial shot coming back from commercial. You know, It almost looked like a blimp shot uh, flying over the... 9-11 memorial site uh they literally dropped the boston b and the yankees ny logos on top of each of the former sites of the towers oh my god and it couldn't have been less tasteful uh it's just it was had to be born out of ignorance is the only way i could explain it no one that has any concept for what 9-11 was or what what that what that means that's why i think it has to be like an 18 year old intern that did this that just wow. doesn't know um the fox did eventually apologize i don't think they're gonna throw their their 18 year old intern under the bus necessarily but they did apologize and i'm guessing that will never ever happen again wow that's i didn't i never didn't hear about that that it's really effed up yeah, I mean, it, it struck a nerve with me as a graphic designer. Uh, there's certain things that you always want to make sure you don't don't trample on, and certainly is the tragedy of losing 3,000 Americans in probably the most horrific event in my life or many other people's lives. So yes, note note to you aspiring graphic designers out there: don't do shit like that. Well, that's all the shit I couldn't make up for this week. So I think that leads us mercifully. To end this episode with our flagship asshole of the week. What is your problem, you insensitive asshole? Pardon my French, but you're an asshole. Who the fuck is this asshole? Am I wrong? You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. Okay, then. still focused on the AL East, which, I mean, this crazy shit we couldn't make up and assholes. So I think that kind of is fitting for our, yeah. our view of the AL East and how, how annoyed we are and just done with the attention they receive. But the most attention ever given to anyone, potentially, uh, has been Derek Jeter. Jeter, <laughs> if you have or haven't noticed over the last 30 years or so. Uh, Derek Jeter has, uh, has been given an inordinate amount of attention and is now the recipient of a new documentary that began airing on ESPN this week. Uh, but it's not, it is not your standard documentary. It is a seven part documentary dedicated to the captain as it's called. Uh, I do not have an issue with. Derek Jeter having a documentary. He he is a four-time world champion. He is a he has over three thousand hits. He is a Hall of Famer. He was a un, unanimous Hall of Famer, which I thought was no. He, he came one vote short. Yeah, remember we made that guy asshole yeah. of the week. Yeah. Well, yeah, but the the idea that anyone needs a seven-part documentary is is ludicrous to me. Uh, the idea specifically Derek Jeter gets it is just just more examples of how the Yankees are deified, how Jeter is 
more human than human in, in the media's eyes. Yeah. Just to go back to this, he, he, you know, he's a remarkable player. He is definitely a hall of famer. I'm not, I'm not doubting that, but the links that people go to, to, to deify him are ridiculous. He has a 70 career war. That is the same as Miguel Cabrera, whose career is not finished. It is less, less than Lou Whitaker, who I have gone on diatribes anytime Derek Jeter comes up, that uh, Derek, uh, Derek Jeter is not even as good as Lou Whitaker, who Lou Whitaker is not even in the fucking Hall of Fame because he played in Detroit. If he played in New York, there would probably be a seven-part documentary about Lou Whitaker. Uh, it's just absurd. Uh, I, you could argue that Derek Jeter wasn't even the best shortstop of his generation. He actually has very similar numbers to Barry Larkin, who is, you know, a hall of famer for sure, but yeah. they're not making seven part documentaries about him. The, the thing I, I think of when you think about multi-part documentaries, especially to this level, it was the Jordan documentary back uh, in 2020, which was actually, perfectly timed as we are all stuck at home during, during the throes of the height of the COVID pandemic with nothing to do that, that, that documentary was uh, pushed up to air while we were all sitting at, sitting at home. And it was a 10 part series and it literally gave us something to do. And I, I, I am certainly no fan of Michael Jordan being born and raised in Detroit, a Pistons fan. I loved it for the years that, the Pistons were able to suppress Michael Jordan and the Bulls uh, until he finally prevailed after years of being stepped on by us. Uh, I do recognize, however, he is the greatest basketball player to ever play. I do recognize that he deserves a ridiculous 10-part documentary, somebody like that, with an absolutely fascinating story with many, many chapters to his story. Uh, two different three-peats uh, punctuated by... <laughs> leaving basketball maybe not even of his own volition uh forced to go play for your chicago white Sox. uh he potentially had his father killed over gambling debts but uh maybe i've said too much many many reasons that uh, michael jordan deserves deserves that kind of treatment where <laughs> the captain uh derek jeter is not to that echelon in any way if he had played anywhere but for the yankees we would not think about him twice, uh, especially this long after his career. So you sent me a, a fun text after the, after I knew the first episode was airing. I believe it was right after the home run derby it, on Monday. It was. Yeah. You caught the first 10 minutes and that was and 10 minutes too much. It was 10 minutes too much. I mean, give me a 10 part or give me a seven part documentary of the eighties Mets with Daryl strawberry doing cocaine off a of hooker's ass or something. They did like a documentary, that, but I think that was that, a total of two yeah, hours. It maybe. was two hours. Like yeah. Derek Jeter's a f fine dude. He, he has nothing interesting to your point about the Jordan. There's so many different sub stories within Jordan. And to the point that I agree obviously with you, but I, he is the greatest basketball player that I, I believe I will ever see play. Um, so, and it was, it was about the bulls too, you know, mm -hmm. it was all the different turmoils within the bulls and how he, you know, how Scotty thought he was treated and all that stuff. So there's a lot of drama there. There's a lot of drama there. Like I said, after 10 minutes, I was like, I'm going to go watch this new series on Amazon with Chris Pratt as a yeah. Navy seal. And something we've never seen before, but it's oh, more boy. interesting. 
Yeah, exactly. It's more interesting. Well, you, you've caught the first 10 minutes. Fortunately, if you change your mind, there's still 410 minutes left of this documentary <laughs> that you can, you can digest of Derek Jeter's life and career. You, you give a, you give me a two hour Dieter documentary, Jeter, Dieter, it's Derek and Jeter. He's Dieter. <laughs> if you give me two hours of a Jeter documentary, I probably sit down and watch it. It's probably good. Like a 30 for 30 thing or whatever. It's, it's fine. Yeah. There's no reason this guy has earned seven parts. He's not even the best shortstop of all time. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really my point. I think, I think you summed that up perfectly. He definitely deserves a documentary The you know, four-time champion, 3000 plus hits. You know, he's, he's the famous gift baskets with his uh, model girlfriends or model dates for each night. Um, those are interesting stories, but Give him an hour, give him two hours, seven hours of Derek Jeter documentary is just too much. So I want to be clear though. I'm not making Derek Jeter our asshole of the week. No, not at all. I'm making the producers of this, the captain documentary, our assholes of the week. And by extension, just ESPN, you, you, you are the assholes of the week. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, on that note, can we please stop talking about the AL East? I mean, this, this whole second half of the show is dedicated to that. Hopefully we don't have to talk about them for the rest of the season. This wraps up our episode number 110. That's so Holy kind of amazing, shit. Kind yeah. of amazing to think of, but uh, you can find this podcast anywhere you like to find a podcast. You can find us on social media at Major League A-Holes. You can find us on the web at MajorLeagueAholes.com. Uh, be sure to check out our previously mentioned White Sox podcast, Sox type thing, anywhere you'd like to find a podcast. You can find that on social media at Sox type thing. And on the web, it actually goes to the same website as majorleagueaholes.com, SoxTypeThing.com. So with that, I'm going to declare this podcast is over. Peace. Peace. Yeah! Jesus fucking Christ, it's about time.